Welcome to Live from My Drum Room. My guest today is Rob Cook, who is the publisher, author, owner, and founder of ReBeats. And uh, he's authored and published several best-selling vintage drum books, one of which is one of my favorites right, right here, this, uh, the Gretsch Drum Book. And uh, Rob is also the founder and producer of the Chicago Drum Show, the oldest and largest vintage and custom drum show in the United States, possibly in the world. So I'm excited to have Rob here with me today, and we're going to talk about his Rebeats publishing business and also the Chicago Drum Show and give us a little sneak preview of what's in store this year. So thanks for checking in, and welcome to Live from My Drum Room. Good afternoon, Rob. Welcome to the show. Hey, John. I appreciate the opportunity. Congratulations. I love what you've been doing, man. Uh, uh, a, a little bit in awe. I'm talk about being in good company. You've been doing some amazing things. It's kind of really enjoying your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming from you. I that means so much to me. Thank you so much, Rob. I appreciate it. You're you are a pillar in the drum community and. Uh, and it's an honor to have you here today, sir. And uh, and and again, thank you for those kind words. And um, man, you know, I I I hope people know what you do for the drum community. Besides the incredible Chicago Drum Show, which I've only had the honor and pleasure of attending one time, but I told you that after that first time, I was hooked. And that was in 2019. We know what happened a year after that, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to make it back. I. The only thing I, I, I would request, it's a small request from you, Rob, just a mm -hmm. tiny request. If you can change the weekend to any other week, <laughs> weekend. That's, that's a tough one, man. It's always the week <laughs> between Mother's Day and Memorial Day. And I had it a week earlier one year, on, and that was on Mother's Day. And I had a lot of people coming up and saying, man, I'm here now, but if you do this again... <laughs> Forget it. You know, next year, <laughs> yeah. Next year, I got to be home on Mother's Day. <laughs> I get it. No, I, I I remember you telling me that story, and yeah, you'd have a lot of people sleeping on your couch. Yeah. <laughs> if if you did that, I I get it. You know, I think I told you my granddaughter's for the last since 2019, her um, maybe even the year before that, she does a dance recital on that same weekend, and um, this year she's doing two recitals on the Saturday. So. Yeah. Uh, can't can't miss that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I'll get back I, there. I hear the story a lot of uh, graduations is another big thing. High school graduations, yeah. college graduations, weddings. I remember one year, uh, the chief called me, uh, Bill Ludwig II, and he he loved coming to the show, and we loved having him. We always had a recording of "Hail to the Chief," and we played it when he uh. first walked in, and and he just would soak <laughs> it up and walk down the aisle waving like he was the president. And and <laughs> the last time that he was able to make it, he was wheelchair bound and a little tear down his face as he as they wheeled him down the aisle to hail to the chief but but anyhow he called me one year and said man just so you know i i just had to cancel my attendance at a wedding to come to the drum show and it was jim catalano's son that was getting married in elkhart oh so i felt a little <laughs> bad for jim but i was glad the chief was going to make it to the show <laughs> jim probably even though i, I don't want to speak for jim but he was probably so happy about his son getting married, but at the same time going, man, I'm missing the show. Yeah. You know, I know he's, 
he's a you know he he's a, a stalwart of a, a you know a veteran of the show and and what an amazing job and it's now it's over 30 years right it's is it 32 yeah this, this is year? the 32nd and 33 32nd. years because of 2020 so we had to delay the 30th yeah. by one year but yeah this will be wow. the 32nd and does it continue to just grow every year has it has it you know it, it sort of was up until 20, 2019 <laughs> and, yeah. and it was incremental it was it was pretty small the 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 gains but there was always a you know a handful more exhibitors and a few more at the door and we uh we leveled off a, a little bit the the growth slowed uh, in the the late teens but uh it was still continuing to grow but um then of course 2020 there was no show the 30th was delayed and in uh, 2021 it was about 50 percent of what it had been in 2019 uh both in terms of the number of exhibitors and and the door and uh, uh everybody was you know apprehensive not sure what was going to happen the the uh a vaccine wasn't really in high gear by then and people's comfort level and so on. So so we had a, a lot of the uh, PPE on hand and the plexiglass shields and masks and and everything. And uh, we, we got through, but last year was more like three quarters of what it used to be. So uh, we're, we're on track to, to get into a real strong, uh, strong showing again. I, I would bet you, I, I don't know what the numbers look like right now for you. You know, I know it's still almost two months from now, um, but I, I, it just seems like the enthusiasm and, and, you know, for all these types of things is, is back stronger than ever. And, and, uh, and this show, I know there's a, you know, I'm, I'm giving a shout out to the folks at Trump forum. Um, a lot of your uh, supporters, you know, are part of this, this organization that the drum forum, and there's lots of chatter about it all the time. And, um so i yeah that, I, I, that I think all it's helps be. too i i think there's probably a fair number of people exhibitors and attendees that get more excited when they see more excitement <laughs> about it now that the posters yeah. are out and and we've got the the whole clinician schedule and the, the uh, there's a pretty significant uh raffle uh inclusion already um and geez i picked up about three or four exhibitors in the last seven days and it seems really last minute to me it's still a eight weeks away but uh really we start in uh like september letting people reserve their space the same space they had the previous year and yeah. uh so it seems kind of last minute to me now but uh and then uh for some of them, it's, it's just the wheels of commerce moving slowly. Um, I thought maybe Yamaha was going to be out of the picture altogether, but I just heard from Jim Haler a couple days ago, and he was introducing the the guy that's going to be taking his place with Yamaha and, and mentioned that they also have a new marketing uh, and sales uh, manager so i think that's why they didn't get a hold of me sooner but we're glad to have yamaha back and in general yeah. a lot of the unknowns are are still the corporations i mean i'm sure you saw it uh and, and a lot of your friends and former friends i'm sure that got displaced because there was a lot of personnel shuffling and a lot of the yeah. the corporate 
percussion entities didn't come out of 2020 looking anything like they did going in. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, and and I, I wonder too if there was maybe for some people still a little bit of a wait and see how things look sort of thing. But like you say, you, you kind of can't wait too long because when you're dealing with space and, and uh, you know, first come, first serve and all that sort of thing, then... Uh, but but nice to hear Yamaha's you know in there this year and 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 just looking when you mentioned clinics I thought I'd just put up the um, the schedule just quickly here and I'll, we'll come back to it as well but man what a strong schedule you have and and uh, clinic roster and I I love I love the um, and I pardon me for talking so much because I this is this is your show so I want you to talk but um, I love the idea of having meet the Smiths and you've got all these you know highly acclaimed symbol makers all in one place which is fantastic yeah if yeah if i can uh, uh bend your ear on that just a little bit sure uh that it kind of exploded on me i'm i'm actually uh, i've been working for a number of years on a symbol book and it's a topic that's so big and so challenging that i'm i'm half afraid of it but uh, it's been 40 years since Hugo did his great book, The Symbol Book, and there's yeah. a lot of updating that needs to be done. Uh, and I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and I'm just going to refer people to, to Hugo's book in many areas. But uh, the, the number of companies that's out there has changed markedly. The whole landscape has, has changed. And around the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a, a forum called Symbolholics. Did you ever visit that? Or you, you I know? did. Yeah, I was a okay. member for well, a while. In Mike that, yeah. Skiba, I think, was one of the main guys there. I don't know if he was the moderator, but uh, there was kind of a, a handful of guys and, and one female, Heather Stein, but uh, and and Spitzakino was a, a big inspiration for a lot of these guys, but but they were symbol smiths. They were uh, they they weren't uh, they didn't have foundries. They weren't casting, but they were getting blanks and creating symbols. And uh, in the last decade now, there's a whole new wave of symbol smiths that were inspired by those guys. The, the Symbolholics uh, Forum has, has been gone for quite some time now, and and several of those key individuals like like Mike Skiba and Spitzakino are, are no longer with us. But uh, I, I started realizing when I started really paying attention and trying to keep a list of, of all these symbol companies and symbol smiths that... Uh, it's it's a real community. They're, they're working together. They they also have certain things in common. They see symbols as organic uh, items. That I mean, bronze, the copper and tin never really melds, and it's always going to be gradually trying to get back to its natural state. But that and that's something that all these guys have in common is other than being drawn to working with bronze and making musical instruments and i i'm not sure what what draws people to it but it's undeniable and then there's a brotherhood they help each other and uh they interview each other they write articles about each other and and uh help each other they're even one the one uh guy from the uk collingwood even has a little uh series of seminars instructive seminars and so on 
to, to help the other symbol smiths. So my, my brainstorm was, okay, I'm going to write to a bunch of these guys. And if I can get two or three of them to come to the show, we'll have a little panel discussion <laughs> and so on. Well, all eight of them that I wrote to uh, took me up on it. And seven of the eight even are going to have exhibit spaces. And wow. when I got all those confirmations, I thought, well, this is, I've got to reformat the program here. <laughs> we, we have to make a big deal out of this. So um, all eight of them are going to have half an hour each on the clinic stage, and they'll be able to explain how they differ because their goals are different. The size of their operation is different. Um, uh, but there's a, there's a few others. I, I wasn't able to get everybody in, but man, these are eight of of the big names in this and yeah if anybody is inclined to learn a little bit more if you if they just go down this list and google each guy you're going to be blown away um ray burn has been exhibiting at the show for some time he probably qualifies as one of that that first generation of independent symbol smiths he's been at it for a while Dave Collingwood from the uk again he's he's doing a lot of training and so on and also makes symbols. Burke Doherty uh, not only makes his own symbols, but distributes symbols for a lot of these other guys through his business, Bronze Five. Paul Francis, you probably know from uh, your days at, uh, at Zildjian. And, I never heard uh, of I, I, uh, <laughs> He's just starting a, a new company uh, together with yeah. uh, Sarah. I, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to still keep on with the symbol craftsman. I'm, that's something I, I need to talk to him about. But uh, we're really excited to have Paul on board. Uh, Mike Mangiello, Nikki Moon, Matt Nolan from the UK. Uh, Matt is yeah. one of the few to have a, a tempering oven. Uh, when these guys get blanks and start uh, making them into a symbol by hammering and, and lathing and everything, that kind of has to be done within a certain time frame of when the actual casting was was made. Um, and uh, Matt is one of the few that actually has a tempering oven, so he can uh, kind of extend the clock on, on that. Um, and then uh, uh, Timothy Roberts. So it's an amazing group, and each will have a chance to talk about what they're doing, and then there will be a, a a group reception. Uh, Steve Maxwell from uh, Maxwell Drums is going to be hosting a, a kind of a reception where all eight of them will be together so you can get your picture taken and, and talk to the various guys and so on. So I'm, I'm really excited about the whole uh, symbol program. That's so great. And, and, you know, I mean, good for you for extending that invitation to, to all those great symbol makers and them taking you up and, and for Steve for, you know, always being, having the foresight to, to, um, you know, I know Steve was a big part of, um, I was only kidding when I said, I never heard of Paul Francis, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, Steve was a big part of helping Paul get started. And Paul talked about that on my podcast a little while back. And, um, I think that's fantastic. And, and, uh, I, I just a little, I, I certainly don't want to speak for Paul. I, I know, I know of all these great symbol makers, but Paul, of course, I know very well from, for many years. And, um, and I'm fairly certain that he's going to continue symbol craftsman, the symbol craftsman brand, in addition to their, 
to their royal uh, symbol, um, him and Sarah Hagen and, mm-hmm. and Jeff, you know, their, their business. But um, just talking about Paul, a, a little uh, full disclosure, I paid a visit to this uh, young, young symbol maker just a couple of days ago. <laughs> he lives just about 30 miles away, and um, he was nice enough to do a little modification on a couple of symbols that I needed some work done on. So, yeah, we, yeah so we'd been trying to... Um, I, you know, I just, I'm just showing this now. I didn't even really plan to do this, but I thought this would be a good time to show this. That's him and his, and I sure hope he doesn't mind me showing this, but that's him in his, uh, in his, in his workshop. Yeah. Uh, He's hand hammering it and a mirror, uh, a 1980 Zildjian Amir that I bought that was warped and really in tough shape. And Paul, right before my eyes brought it back to life. I mean, he still has it. He wants to keep working on a little bit, but just in the time that I was there, he managed to, you know, get it flat, get it straight, and then fix the cup that somebody tried to hand hammer themselves and ruined. And it's, you know, Rob, it's a cheap symbol. I just bought it on a whim just to get this little piece of history. And, and, you know, Paul took it upon himself to try to bring it back to life. So that's, What what really amazes me, and again, it's something that all of these guys have in common, is that they what they can do with the hammer and what and the mistakes they can even make. Every single one of the guys that I've heard being interviewed or that I've spoken to have made mistakes along the way. Uh, yeah. uh, one hammer strike in the wrong place, and you can destroy not only that piece of metal in terms of its use as a symbol, but uh, uh, forget about the project you were working towards. It's all yeah. out the window. Yeah. And these guys have all thrown away many, many plates on their way to becoming a, a fairly successful symbol maker. And they, they're able to get to a point where they've talked to their customer or they're, they're talked to themselves and they've got this inner voice and they know what they're going for. They know what this piece of metal can do and they know how to get it there with hammer strikes in the right place and the right number. It, it just amazes me. <laughs> yeah, it really, and, and to your point too, um, and I know this from working in that business that, you know, when you're an independent symbol maker like Paul or, any of the other seven independents, you know, your yield is so important because it's just, you know, if, if it takes you five symbols to make one that you can sell, you're going to have a tough go yeah, at, at yeah. really making that business work. So the, yeah, the idea is that you, you learn from your experience on how to get the best yield from, you know, each blank that you work with, you can turn into a great sounding instrument and, and turn that into, you know, a sale ultimately and sometimes they follow the metal that's another thing that intrigues me it's not like they've got a pile of blanks and they've got a sound in their head so they can walk over get out a blank and work towards what they had in their head and get there they can do that sometimes but other times they're not quite sure what's going to happen with a piece of metal until they get into it and as they're working it as they're they're hammering and they're lathing its personality starts coming out and they go hand in hand. They help that piece of metal along as, as yeah. I'm just in awe of these guys. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. It's, it's an amazing, you know, art, I guess, you know, art that they, that these, these guys can, can, uh, 
have mastered. You know, it's pretty amazing. One one um, one Spitzakino story, a little bit off the track, but, yeah, but it, yeah. it's it comes to the front of my mind when I when I get into that that kind of uh, dialogue. I I saw some at a Frankfurt fair. Roberto was there. He used to make a bunch of symbols that he'd take them to Frankfurt, sell them out there, and and that was it. Uh, it wasn't like he had a company or a catalog or price list or anything. He was an independent craftsman. So I, I ran into him at a Frankfurt show and I was looking over all this stuff and I said, man, these hi hats, these, these do it for me. I got to get a pair of these. Hi, can I get these? He, oh, everything in the booth is sold. He says, but, but I can make you a pair. And I said, but yeah, if you make a pair, you know, are they going to be like, I said, exactly. I, I can make that same pair of symbols for you. <laughs> and, it, and it took a couple of years and, and I think it was actually somebody else that went to Frankfurt when a year I wasn't going that, that had to get them from him and hand them off. But they were, they were the symbols I was looking for and that I had heard yes. and he was able to recreate yeah. it. And uh, Spiz really stands out as uh, head and shoulders above of the crowd. Uh, almost all of these guys speak in awe of him and the, the prices that his symbols currently bring kind of speak to that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, I, I had the honor of meeting him uh, several times at Frankfurt. And uh, the first time I remember, you know, being in awe of him. He was so unassuming, as you know, yeah. you know, so, uh, you know, humble, I, I would say quiet, you know, and, and uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I, I went over to see Ron Danette uh, at his booth or something. And I think he was at Ron's booth. And I don't know that I even would have recognized him. Either Ron introduced us, or I, I maybe I realized who he was. And and uh, yeah, just a, what a, a, a true master. Yeah, yeah. boy, just and a, and a pure artist. He was. He just wasn't yeah. that interested in the business side of it. I mean, he, he you got to have a certain interest in it to to survive, obviously. And he, he did approach it in a business like manner. Uh, but he left a lot of the distribution to other people and so on. But the the pure artistry of the man really came out. I visited him at his workshop and he had made a, a stave construction olive wood snare drum. And it, it sounded pretty good. It, it looked kind of neat. And and the the counter hoops were like wrought iron and it, it had uh aftermarket uh tube lugs uh that were made out of uh, uh brass and uh and kind of an inexpensive chrome looked like just a, a no-name strainer on it and i was thinking to myself as i looked at it well it's it's not quite done i wonder if he's going to plate everything so it's all and i and i asked him about that i said so is are you going to finish all this up and he looked at me like like i was speaking a foreign language that he couldn't understand and i repeated it a couple of times and then he said no you don't understand this this is what i wanted to make this is what i made here it is you know and, and this this was how his artistic vision he accomplished it and that was what he meant to do and i yeah. and then i i was kind of stunned and embarrassed that i didn't appreciate that sooner he ended up he made three of those all together and at one time he was keeping one in the family and Johnny Craviato had one and I had the third. And a, a few years ago, I, I let that go to Lee Ruff, who has a, 
a, a big collection of, of Spitzakino snare drums, some of the, the other wow. models that are even rarer. And uh, he used to distribute uh, Roberto's symbols in the United States for him. So it, it was a fitting place to let that one go to. <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, I've never met Lee. I, I don't believe I have. But at your show four years ago, um, I, I through speaking with Steve Maxwell at dinner, I mentioned I was looking for a gold-plated 24-karat Gretsch snare drum, you know, one of their famous. And Steve said to me, Lee Ruff has one. Um, I, I believe he was selling it at the show today. I, I, I didn't see it there. And that was on the Saturday night and I had to leave early Sunday morning to get back home. And so Steve, excuse me, act as the, acted as the liaison between me and Lee. And I ended up, it's sitting here on my shelf, just a uh, few feet away, uh, that beautiful Gretsch gold snare uh, drum. So I, if Lee happens to see this, thank you very much. I love the drum. Four years later, it's looking a little bit tarnished, but it's a, a dream come true to own that drum. In fact, I'm going to show you real quick. Because it's it's too close not to oh hold yeah this up. yeah oh that's great yeah it's uh it and I'll tell you Rob when I when it was delivered to my house it looked I it had wow. recently been replated um, it looked like it had just been made wow. you know it's just phenomenal. Um, I I would I've never been that much of a Gretsch guy compared to the experience and depth of knowledge and so on with Ludwig and, and uh, Slingerland. But, and the, and the Gretsch book would have been a huge challenge without the help of uh, Lee Ruff and John Sheridan. And John Sheridan's Christmas card every year has that drum on, on the front of the card. <laughs> <laughs> well, the book, and speaking of the book, it's, it's, uh, it's a, for anyone, any Gretsch fans, or even if you're not a Gretsch fan, just a vintage drum fan, it's a great book that Rob put together. And I don't know when you published this, Rob. I know it's been around for a while, but... Um, yeah, I'd have to look. Has it been 10 years now? It may have been out a decade ago. That's, 2013. Yeah. You are right, sir. Yeah. Yep. It's fantastic. Just It's just chock full of... John, Gretsch history. John and I had been working on it for quite a while before that, and in a really weird series of, of coincidental events, it was delayed for a while when when his uh, lovely wife, Andrea, had a terrible accident and uh, uh, hit her head in Manhattan uh, going to work and and uh, suffered a, uh, a brain injury. So, and then, like, Four years later, my wife had a brain tumor, and so so it was delayed for five years each for two different brain injuries to our wives, <laughs> but we finally oh, got boy. it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah. The, the you uh, have to look at what the priorities in life are. So, yeah. absolutely. And you know, while I while we're on the subject, I I just realized people probably would wonder what it sounds like. I don't know how it's going to sound. I mean, it sounds like a Gretsch chrome over brass snare drum, which I love. And it has the 42 snares, gold on the bottom. Yeah, so, beautiful. So yeah, great drum. So how so how far along are you on this symbol book you're you were talking about? Oh, not too far. I got kind of an outline. In fact, last year's uh, Chicago Drum Show program 
had about a four-page uh, symbol history dash article that serves as kind of an outline. The, the main things I want to do are uh, kind of profile all of the active symbol companies and Smith's as of a certain day. I mean, that list changes every day, so it's, it's hard to nail down. And uh, so I've got the list kind of together. I need to flesh it out by getting information from each and there's almost a hundred uh, on the list now but uh, so there's about three goals one goal is to to shine a light on the the existing state of the art and who all's doing it and what they're doing uh, one is actually to readdress the zildjian narrative in another way and try to bring a little more clarity to it and uh, it's, it's largely at the urging of Fred Gretsch. Uh, and, and Fred's family has a long and storied history with, with uh, Zildjian. And in fact, in the United States, the Gretsch story predates the Zildjian story, and which, which ended up leading to a lot of litigation. So we're going to uh, try to do that. And, and Fred used to try to talk me into doing exposing the, the, the whole, not exposing, but uh, clarifying the whole story and, and explaining all the litigation. And I'd look at him and say, that's a good way to make everybody in the symbol world hate me. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no way that you're going to tell that narrative without aggravating some people. Uh, and, and especially my good friends, uh, uh, Armand and Bob, who had helped me with numerous projects. They always had great stories about George Way and, and about Ludwig back in the day and so on. And I, I didn't want to do anything to, uh, you know, uh, turn the waters up, make waves for anybody. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I think the time has come to go ahead and, uh, and, and try to try to tell the story as best I can and 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 straighten out the narrative a little bit. Um, yeah. So that's going to be another big, big aim of the book. Uh, but I, I'm probably thinking a, uh, another year and a half at least before I, I get much beyond uh, an, an outline stage and research stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. And you're, you're very thorough. I know. And, in your work. So, yeah. And, and, and to your point too, you know, there's been, you know, there's been probably a lot of clarification, um, in the years that have since, since the last book, since Hugo's book. So it, the information's kind of out there, you know, for you to then clarify, if that makes sense. Like it's, you wouldn't be betraying Armin and Bob because I think a lot of this information, and I think you could then put a finer point on it with your, mm -hmm expertise and, and knowledge yeah and we can and talk resources. with a little more openness now about the actual process so like i said these most of these symbol smiths are not running foundries but man is right. that a critical part of it and it's it's not uh just for for a long time the narrative kind of seemed to be that there's the sealed room and the the male zildjian relative goes into there and secretly mixes the formula and that, that's kind of correct but there's so much more to it uh, you don't just uh, any metallurgist can examine a symbol and say yeah it's 80 20 all you got to do is mix uh, bronze and copper and there you go but the real secret is not that it's 80 and 20 but exactly when you put how much of what in 
And right. once you cast it, what do you do then? How do you cool it? Uh, how do you temper it? How do you anneal it? And and uh, how many times through the roller do you go? That's all before it gets into a plate that goes out to these guys who can then hammer and lay it into a, a shape and, and tensile. Uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you're absolutely right i mean that's that's I, I used to say the same thing to people that it's anyone could easily and and you know we or when i was with zildjian and the people at sabian uh would say 80 <clears throat> percent copper 20 percent tin so there was no secret to what the metal composition was it was like you just said it's what you do with it you know the little traces of silver and what armin used to say is it's that's you know that the um the magic is how you could put these metals together with that much um, uh, tin without it being so fragile yeah. it would just shatter as soon as you hit it. Yeah, yeah, and the the, the exact uh, rate of cooling, how you cool it, uh, whether you use water or not, and what kind of is it salt water? Is it is it because of the atmospheric conditions and you're near the sea? There's there's a lot of moving yeah. parts there. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to say, Armin, oh man, I, I miss that guy every day. And I, he would have loved, I, I, don't, I don't think he would have ever made it to the show, to the Chicago show. Um, I mean, I, was, I don't think he did. He, he passed away 10 years into after you started it, but he would have loved to go to, when you mentioned the chief loving, you know, going every year, um, that Armin was in his element when he was in a situation like that, you know, like, like he loved PASIC, he loved going to the jazz show, IAJE, you know, for the music, yeah. but, you know, Nam tended to be a little overwhelming for him, but he loved being around drummers. Yeah. And, and he, yeah. he would have totally dug it, especially all the vintage stuff. And, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know him nearly as well as I knew Robert, but he was always so patient. Um, and it, I usually had questions for him and usually about George Way or, or, or something of the era that George was active in that that uh, uh, Armin would know about. And so and he was always, of course, busy talking to somebody and usually, you know, star endorsers and so on and owners of big drum shops. And I would just kind of stand back, but we'd make eye contact and he'd know I was kind of standing by. And then finally, you know, I uh, just wait until he had a bit of a gap and he'd come over to, to chat with me and he was just so relaxed and it, you know, he'd just light up when he'd start talking about uh, the, these memories of the fifties and sixties. And yeah. he was, he was like a favorite uncle the first time you meet him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. That's a, that's a perfect description. You know, he really was, he was, uh, you know, all the things that people say about him, you know, he really was all that, you know, he was a, just a, uh, you know, he, he, I mean, people person is a, is an understatement. He really knew how to just, um, you, you know, react and be around people. Yeah. He was yeah. just so comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to put this up again real quick, Rob, because I think, I think this is the one that I, well, somewhere when I was looking at this earlier, I saw, yes, I think this is amazing right here. And I think you deserve so much credit and $20 admission, I think is, and ages kids from five to 12, $10. I think that's so fantastic that you keep the price of this so affordable for people uh, at a time when, you know, that's, that's so key for everybody. And um, 
So I just want to commend you for that. I, I, it sort of was lost on me. And I was looking at this today and I was showing my wife and I said, this is so great that you can still go to an event like this for 20 bucks. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We, it was $10 for quite a, quite a while and then 15 for a few years. And yeah, I, I can't see it ever going over, over 20. It, it, it needs to stay affordable. And while we're right there, the, the, the other people on the program, let's uh, go over real quick, uh, in addition sure. to the yeah, symbol smiths. And actually, uh, just before the symbol smiths, the very first clinic is going to be um, Eric Binder. And Eric uh, is going to talk about old K's and show some of his and explain, you know, for people that are wondering why an old K ride is $2,000 and are they all <laughs> worth that or, or 3000 or whatever? And so he's going to show some of his old K's and some of the new custom uh, Binder series symbols from Mike Mangiello and, and kind of talk to the people about how to talk to a symbol smith, like uh, the, how to describe the sound that you're looking for, what's, what's cool. the attack, what's the roar, what's the stick sound, blah, blah, blah. Um, so Eric's going to kick it off, um, or actually just before him, Rami Antun from uh, AMF Drum Company is going to do a brief presentation on the making of the world's largest bass drum that he uh, recently <laughs> did to take the place of Big Bertha at the University of Texas. So now there's a Big Bertha too, and uh, it's pretty amazing the the state of the art of the cart for it and and the drum itself. It's, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it how it happened wow. he may even have yeah. some snippets of video from a documentary that's being made about the making of the drum but uh, what's the actual size rob of, of the bass drum i don't know off the top of my head <laughs> and uh, maybe it's maybe it's, it's i'm sure it's on the yeah available somewhere yeah, yeah. it's probably at his website um yeah you know, for a long time people wouldn't talk about the size uh purdue and the purdue drum we've had at the show twice and uh then there's big bertha and for a long time both drums were known as the world's largest bass drum and and neither school was really interested in comparing measurements and actually one was a little bit larger in radius but the other one was a little bit deeper so i don't know if, if you'd have to count the cubic feet to but at any rate uh the new drum rami's drum yeah uh, uh, hands down bigger than both of those drums uh, <laughs> but uh Man. so and right next to him jeff davenport uh from the uk uh good old he jeff, comes yeah. with the help of remo man i learned something every time i talk to the guy he's he's a lot of fun he's helped me with a lot of research on it uh, numerous different kinds of projects that uh, Jeff is is always there to talk about uh, drum tuning primarily and and different tensioning systems and so on. So we're we're glad to have Jeff back with uh, Remo's uh, help and support. Um, and then right above him is the Eric Binder. Gary Astridge is going to be back. He's always tremendously popular. Brings a, a big crowd to his presentation on uh, Ringo's drums. And he's even bringing this year uh, the big sculpture. It's like, what, eight feet, 200 pounds of the uh, the peace sign, a big fiberglass. Oh. So it'll be a great photo op, everybody. It'll be near the entrance and people can get their picture taken with their their best friend or their drum hero or whatever standing by the the big uh, piece sign 
Um, That's great. Gary's great, man. He's uh, yeah. and then uh, Paul Wertico and Bobby T. <laughs> That's going to yeah. be fun. Uh, Paul is so laid back and and easy to get along with. What a great guy! He he one year did a clinic. He came in as he was buying his wristband. I mean, he doesn't he's not one of these guys that comes in expecting a free ride. I always got a pass for him, but usually he pays before I can even get over there with it. But <laughs> I I said, oh Paul, I almost called you. We had a, a last minute uh, change in the clinic schedule, and the guy couldn't make it. And he said, well, when is it? And I said, well, it's about an hour and a half. He said, well, I'll do it. I mean, uh -oh. and, and he went out and scrounged around on the exhibit floor and found some drums to play and a set of cymbals and went ahead and did the clinic with an hour and a half's notice. Just amazing. And he's, he's been a big supporter of the show for years. So we're, we're delighted to have him back. And, uh, what a great drummer, too, and a great educator. Yeah. yeah. And Bobby T, uh, man, I heard a lot of his playing. Uh, B3 had his uh, WFL3 drum company right there near the registration table. So I heard a lot of Bobby T at last year's show. And man, he's got some chops. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and and a, a great resume. So we're looking forward to, to uh, kicking out some jams with Bobby on the, on the clinic stage. Uh, uh, Jerry Brown, uh, that's going to be a great one. Uh, oh, yeah. Courtesy of uh, actually an electronic drum company, Dewa. Uh, yeah. But yep. um, looking forward to having Jerry there. Scott Pellegrum isn't uh, as much of a household name as a lot of these guys, but boy, is he a rising star. And I first saw, met him just a few weeks ago. He did a little clinic in Lansing here where I live. And I was pretty much blown away. And, and then, I, then I find out he's actually a superstar already on Instagram. He's been doing, he's much hipper to social media than I am. And he's, it, it's been paying <laughs> off for him. But uh, uh, man, he's just, he just does some amazing things. Uh, he reminds me of a cross between Jojo Mayer and, uh, uh, oh gosh, who else does the Johnny Rab, you know, with uh, Johnny uh, Rab, yeah, tricks yeah. and sounds. And he, he approaches his instrument with a, a great passion and curiosity and, and very non-standard ways of getting remarkable sounds. So, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to having him be a part of the show i'm sure he'll be back again as long as if his schedule permits uh, Fantastic. so, so a it's a, a, a pretty neat agenda i i traditionally have have only done like three clinics a day over the weekend and we have some space in between for a changeover and let people go to the exhibits and boy the way it just kind of exploded on me this year we're pretty much back to back for two days in the in the clinic room so we're going to be I busy. was going to say <laughs> And 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 I'll let you um, speak to this, but some really great news that that we all got recently, which is our friend Dom Famularo is is making a great recovery, and yeah. uh, I know he'll be at Nam in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and he's coming to the Chicago Drum Show. Yeah, I had invited him last summer, I think it was, and uh, to do a clinic and. He said, well, it depends on how things go in the fall. I've got a lot of treatments coming up and so on. And I, I shot him a, a couple more messages in maybe October, maybe even December, and I didn't hear anything back. Oh, that's not a good sign. Uh, but I just heard from him a couple of weeks ago, and 
And he said, oh, yeah, I just, I came across some of our earlier back and forth. And I want to let you know that I've been declared cancer-free. I'm out there. I'm doing a seminar at, uh, at NAM. And uh, I'm, I'm up for the show. And the, the clinic uh, program was already pretty much set, just back-to-back. But I said, well, we got to have down there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, just walking around the hall, it, it, it's like igniting fumes or something. There's just an excitement yeah, yeah. that he brings to drumming almost any room that he goes into. He's just such a Absolutely. nice guy. Uh, we did have him do a clinic, I think it was about four years ago, and everybody loved him. Uh, so I, I said, well, I geez, we'll bring you in, but I don't have a regular clinic. So he's, I'll do whatever you want. He says, so he's going to hang out at the Mapex booth and he's going to do a little MC work for us over on the clinic stage. And, and the rest of the time, he'll just be done going around talking to people and, and getting people fired up. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll miss that. And I, I stay, I've been staying in touch with Dom as well, you know, and I, you know, I send him a, a text and I get the, you know, the thumbs up, you know, or the heart emoji, yeah. and, and uh, you know, my wife Kelly is, is is very close with Dom from all the years working for her dad's company. So um, we were so happy to hear that he has had this great, uh, you know, uh, prognosis and and uh, the great news. So I, yeah, that's exciting. I just posted it on Facebook yesterday, and already I, there's like sixty comments or something underneath it with with people that have either always wanted to meet him or people that have been to his clinics or people that just plain know him and, and everybody's just over the moon about him being there. Yeah. Yeah. He is beloved. He, you know, like yourself, he's a, a big part of this drum community and uh, yeah, it's, it's great news. And he, he did tell me I'm going to have him on this podcast at some point when he's ready and up to it. So don't wear him down too much at the show. Maybe, maybe yeah. right after that, we'll have him come on. And, yeah. um, and Rob, I wanted to just take a minute to just, we, we sort of touched on uh, rebeats and in, in the books mm -hmm. and um, is beside the symbol book that's kind of in the works and we might see in a couple of years, any other things that you're working on in the way of new publications coming out or. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, over this, this last winter, we did a, a revised edition of the Leedy Drum Topics. That's all, uh, what is it, 29 issues or whatever with fresh scans and everything. Well, there were a lot of photocopies in the original editions, but, so that's more of an update. Uh, on the 30th of this month, we're releasing uh, two updated and revised uh, books by Rick Geyer, who does the serial number books. There's a, yes. a Ludwig uh, dating guide by serial numbers and a Gretsch dating guide by serial numbers. And uh, on the surface, for people that aren't familiar with the process, that would seem like a pretty straightforward thing. Like the drum company would start with the serial number one and go forward and keep notes of what they did and what's what's to find out. But <laughs> Rick, Rick explains in, <laughs> in, uh, in almost excruciating detail at times the process of finding out what they did. And they, you know, there, there are numbers that cycled over, they'd start over with a different badge and there were different versions of the same badge that were slight differences. And, and quite often it involves going to secondary, not just a date that's stamped inside or a date where you can prove that it was purchased originally, but, um, 
also the the strainer, the muffler, and so on. So th these revised additions have a, a lot more on those areas, the type of label that was inside. Like uh, one example is on the uh, the Superphonic. For a while, it had a, a Ludaloy sticker inside and, and uh, several other stickers. And uh, Rick went to the trouble of finding the... Uh, metal company that did the plating and uh, got to the bottom of what a lot of those labels meant and when exactly they were used. And that, that all helps in, in, the, in the chronological stream of, of serial numbers and, and pinning things down. So the, the new serial number books are uh, going to be released on the 30th. Recently did a revised edition of Drum Colors. Um, yes. Yep. And what else? There's always something going on in the, in the, uh, the books, but uh, we, uh, Frank's for the Memories is back in print. Uh, GK, uh, the, the Brooks Tegler's wonderful book on Gene Krupa, there's a really long story behind that, but it's kind of a limited edition. We've got about 100 copies, uh, but it's going to be hard to reprint when we get to the end of, of that group. So it's kind of a limited edition. But gotcha. a pretty okay. amazing book. I'm going to have to get one. I'm going to have to get a copy before they're gone. And and uh, I, you know, I just you have an amazing catalog here of of uh, you know for for drum enthusiasts. I mean, it's amazing what you've what you have available here. And this is this is one of my favorites. You know, Rick's book, as you were just saying, it's uh, you know helps kind of take a little bit of the mystery out of the Gretsch. Um, yeah. serial number yeah. <laughs> mystery we could we could spend a whole episode just talking about that but uh yeah look at this and I, I have chet's book which is fantastic yeah so yeah i would encourage everybody to go onto rob's website rebeats and just take a look at all these books that are available yeah. Well, Rob, before we wrap it up for today, was there was there anything more we want to share about the uh, the show this year, the uh, Chicago I'm, show? What else? For people that don't even know what happens at a drum show, uh, if you go to chicagodrumshow.com and scroll around a little, you can find walkthroughs of previous shows. But basically, uh, it started as a swap meet. It's just it's the equivalent of running a VFW hall. We've got this county fair building and we just split it up into 10 by 10 spaces and, and all sorts of different people rent uh, what we call it a booth. It's just a space actually, but we do have some pipe and drape uh, separating them. But uh, we get everything from collectors to vintage drum dealers to cymbal smiths. And then uh, there are some, of course, some new drum companies. Uh, uh, KHS is supporting this in a pretty big way this year. They've got a Mapex and a Sonar booth. Yamaha, like I mentioned, wow, is yeah. back. Ludwig always has a huge presence. WFL3. Uh, a lot of support from Humes and Berg and Trick and Maxwell Drums, uh, but then a lot of individuals. And then the fun starts when they're jockeying for position because it becomes neighborhoods. 
you know, like, and, and some of them are old neighborhoods. Everybody wants to be near Ludwig and uh, Bunny Carlos and Randy Rainwater. They're always right across the aisle from Ludwig. And there's there's almost a, if you go down that first aisle on the other side of Randy and, and Bunny, then you, you see, geez, uh, uh, everybody from... Uh, I blank out on name. Joe Meckler to uh, John Grant and a lot of guys that are real icons in the in the collecting field, and and it gives it a neighborhood feel. And then you you go around the corner and you're in a different neighborhood, and it's still a nice neighborhood, but a whole different group of yeah, people. Yeah. And and what's kind of funny is. Uh, a lot of these people come and they see each other and they don't do that much circulating. And sometimes I'll be talking to somebody that's been coming to the show for 20 years. And when I mention somebody else that's been exhibiting for 20 years, they, well, yeah, I think I know who that is. So it, it <laughs> makes me feel less guilty for not knowing everybody as well as I feel like I really should. You know, yeah, I get yeah. more chance to talk to everybody during the year while we're working on it and on the phone than I actually do at the show. And uh, I'm and, sure it's like, yeah, you're you're hosting a party with, you know, hundreds of your best friends. And, you know, yeah. it's it's tough to see everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that when I when I went that year in 2019, I had just bought a vintage Rogers kit. And uh, in fact, I'd had it in here up until just the other day. I'd moved it into my other room. But, um, you know, I was using that kit for all my gigs. And uh, I went over and I met um, Jeff Burke, who is oh, yeah. the yeah. Rogers guy. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I met the legendary Craig Cramp, yeah. who was there at that show and what a super nice guy and you know we we've stayed in touch since then and uh so i mean you know like you say bunny carlos is is a fixture there and um you know just to, mike carrado and joe Luoma and man and lee rupp the the list goes on and on of all these people that the you see the names all over but a, a lot of these guys show up and and most of them have stories about some spectacular buys at past years or transactions that they had lined up and you know yeah. and that happens with a lot of the the really big transaction you know there'll be a top hat and cane or a, a billy gladstone or something and they they don't want to ship it so they bring it with them to chicago to to do the actual change and everything so it's yeah. it's always fun to to start hearing some of the news that came out of the show you know it's uh and I, I before I forget if I'm not mistaken you probably will, probably will remember this that same year I want to say Don McCauley for anyone who doesn't know Don Don is um, works for the Rolling Stones he was Charlie's drum tech for the last ten years Charlie was with us he's now Steve Jordan's tech uh, but Don I think had just come into possession of some Gene Krupa drums that I think someone had actually I think Charlie had bought them and gave them to Don and Don had them on display uh, at the, uh, at the show that year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I, I remember correctly, but. And, yeah. And he came again in 2021 after the year that we missed, he was thinking for a while of putting on a show, the new England drum show. And I don't know if that's still going to happen or not, but, but the last time I saw Don, he was walking out with a, with a hi-hat stand and one of the exhibitors uh, that actually I was standing there talking to at the time, David, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Parades, Parades. 
Uh, he had just sold uh, down that that high hat, and it was a, a new old stock Gretsch high hat that looked mint condition. And Don was buying it for Charlie for his birthday, and uh, so David was just over the moon that he had just sold something that was actually going to Charlie. But, yeah, yeah. As was I a few years earlier, I had I had uh, gotten a call from uh, uh, Don a number of years ago, and he had me uh, ship uh, an assortment of my books, I had four or five books uh, to him, actually in England at the time, and it went into a little portable library that Charlie had on the road with him. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, really happy with that. That's 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 got to feel really good. Yeah, knowing that you helped. You know, and I'm sure Charlie appreciated it on the road because, as you've probably heard, that's, you know, that's exactly what he would want to do when he's traveling is, you know, read books like that. He doesn't go out and it didn't go out and get into any, uh, you know, didn't mix around yeah. with a lot of people. No hijinks. Yeah, no hijinks. No touring. No stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I let you go, Rob, I mean, the, the the vintage to me what blew my mind when I went was the number the sheer number of vintage exhibitors and collectors that come to this show and I'd heard it before but it, until I actually saw it I couldn't believe just row after row aisle after aisle of of vintage exhibits and if you had to guess um, how many exhibitors you have uh, there that you know that that deal in vintage drums. I mean, and it's all the top ones. When you go on eBay or Reverb, you see these people, and they're at the show, right? I mean, it's all those companies. Oh yeah, yeah. The the, the Drugen brothers have a huge presence, and of course Maxwell yes. and uh, Rudy uh, in the in the corner. But probably thirty or forty. I'm not sure how it breaks down. Altogether, there's 170, 180 spaces, and it's probably 60, 40 between new and vintage, with 60 new, including all the, the um, drum head companies, cymbal companies, gifts, and so on. It's not, not all just yeah. uh, drums. Uh, but uh, so I, got to be 30 or 40 that are, are just vintage yeah yeah i would i just remember going there and thinking that if you're a vintage drum collector and you're looking for something that you can't find anywhere there's a really good chance you'll see it there or or yeah. you'll get a line on it i mean uh you, yeah. you put a bug in uh, mike carrado's ear and if it's something unusual and rare and if he doesn't know where you can get it right now you'll probably hear from him within six months that you know, yeah. he's he's come up with it. and a bunch of other guys too the same with uh with uh bunny and randy and i remember it's, i think bunny's <laughs> been at every show except one and it was funny that year cheap trick was touring in canada with uh, aerosmith and he just couldn't turn that down and, and for the for the drum show. But he was calling in every few hours. Uh, Randy <laughs> Randy kept reporting that Bunny had called to see what was new because because uh, Randy always had his ear to the ground and knew what big transaction, what just walked in the door, what was in the consignment area, what big swap just went down, and <laughs> so that's great. That is hilarious. I'll just a really quick, funny Mike Carrado story. So that while I was having dinner with Steve, Steve invited a bunch of people out to dinner on that Saturday night. And Mike, I've known forever. 
um, and we're sitting across from each other at the table and we, we were kind of chatting and reconnecting. And I mentioned that I'm looking for one of these gold Gretsch snare drums. And Mike, of course, says, I have two of them. <laughs> and which, you know, of course he does, you know, if you know about Mike's snare drum yeah. collection. And I, so I'm thinking, great, my old friend Mike is going to sell me one of his 24 karat gold plated Gretsch snares. And I said, would, you know, do you want to sell me one of them? He said, well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sell any of them. I'm not. And then Steve overhears us and says, I think I, I think I know where I can get you one, you know, Steve. He's, and then the next day I, I literally landed in Boston, had a voicemail from Steve saying, I spoke with Lee and um, we're going to make this happen. Just give me another day or so. And, and uh, you know, a week or so later there it was at my house. So yeah. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. yeah, so you might not find exactly what you're looking for, but you'll be on the, hot on the trail anyhow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, Rob, it's been such a pleasure having you here today, and I, I thank you so much for being here. Oh, my, my pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity, man. <laughs> Well, thanks. And thanks for all you do, man. It's, it's, um, I, I probably don't tell you that enough, um, throughout the year. So I'll, I'll say it now and I'll say it again before next Chicago drum yeah. show. Thanks for all you well, do. With, my with pleasure. I, I'm very fortunate to have found a niche in this community without having the, this, the playing skills or chops to earn my way into it that way. I would, <laughs> I, I tried for years in college to get into a band. I just wasn't good enough. I'm, I, my left hand sucks. I'm not a good reader, but I, I'm passionate about gear and percussion and drumming. And I'm, I'm fortunate to have carved out a, a niche. I, it's the, my good fortune is not lost on me. I really appreciate it. Oh, that's great. And I was just going to say, it sounds very familiar. So it, uh, there's hope for me. Still, so Good to know that. All those things. In my case, a weak right hand and a bad reader. <laughs> but thank you so much, Rob. A pleasure. Congratulations. Good luck with the show this year. And, uh, and I'll be seeing you real soon. Everybody, thanks for watching today. Big hand for Rob Cook. And uh, I'll post the, uh, the link to the Chicago Drum Show and information for people to, to check it out, too and rebeats. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for watching the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll see you on the next episode of Live from My Drum Room with John DeChristopher.